What do you do when you have a desire to submit to someone, to follow them, to be vulnerable because you believe them, you want to trust them, but then you find out that person is a, a manipulator, a person who takes advantage of your vulnerability? What if you add this complexity? Uh, one of the ways that they manipulate you is by telling you that they have a word from the Lord, that God told them this and God told them that. And they use this God language to manipulate the trust that you have in them. Well, I want to talk about that in this podcast because this is part of a review that I'm doing of the rise and fall of Mars Hill from Christianity Today. And in this particular episode, they are talking about Mark Driscoll using prophetic language to manipulate people and the damage that it caused. Whether it's in a church context or a marriage situation or a parental a parent-child dynamic, or employer-employee. We can find ourselves in those relational contexts where there are authorities over us, and we willingly submit to them as we should. But that does set us up for a vulnerability. So on one side, the vulnerable, per- vulnerable person needs to have discernment to know when a person is manipulating them. And then, of course, on the leadership side, they need also the care and accountability in their lives so they're not stepping uh, out of line with God's Word. And so I want to talk about these things in this episode. This is episode 361, titled Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Episode 9. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am so grateful that you are here, and if you benefit from the Life Over Coffee podcast, and you haven't already, would you take the time to write a nice review on the podcast platform that you are listening to? Podbean, Stitcher, Tuned In, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you would write a review, it's one of the ways that you can support our ministry by helping us algorithmically so that we could reach more people with the practical message of Jesus Christ. If you want the show notes to this particular episode review, just go to episode 361 on our ministry's website, and you can print it off or just look at it there or copy and paste it. We do have a print button at the bottom of all of our articles and all of our show notes, and you can print it off into a nice PDF. Also, uh, I am doing video reviews of all of these episodes from Christianity Today. If you want to go to our YouTube channel, you can watch these reviews in addition to or instead of listening to this podcast, for example, or reading the show notes. And so you can read the show notes, listen to the podcast, watch the video review uh, on YouTube, and that would be just great. As always, if we can serve you in any way, we do have free forums at are open to anyone in the world. If you want to talk about this series or something else on your mind, please jump on our free community forums and our team will be more than happy to come alongside you and engage you with whatever is on your mind. Again, this is episode 361. Mike Cosper, the narrator of the Christianity Today series, in this particular episode, it's titled Demon Hunting, and in this particular episode, he was talking about the Cottingley Fairies. These little fairies were found on five photographs that were taken by Elsie Wright and her cousin, Francis Griffiths, in 1918, and it created quite the stir. Well, in 1984, Elsie was still alive and kicking, and she said that those photos were fake, that they had doctored them. 
And then later on, Francis said, and this is a key statement, said people wanted to believe in them. This Christianity Today podcast episode about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, it discusses, one, our need to believe in someone, and number two, a leader's sinful desire to get us to believe in him, and even using language like God told me or I have a word from the Lord as manipulative language to get the vulnerable to believe in and follow that leader. And so there are two main aspects to this podcast, Demon Hunting. One of them is our desire to believe in something And the other is how to discern when someone is manipulating you. Now, as I work through this review here, I'm going to share with you 10 considerations that I trust it will benefit you so that you can think through, I want to be vulnerable to someone. I I want to submit and follow within the proper hierarchical authoritarian context, but I don't want to be manipulated, especially when they use language like God told me such and such. And so I want to give you 10 considerations that will help you to discern whether you're being manipulated in your vulnerability or not. Mike Cosper asked what I thought was an astute question. He said, how do we know when our instinct for astonishment is being manipulated? You see, there's something in us that has a gravitational pull that pulls us outside of ourselves for something greater. Of course, ultimately, the design for wanting to submit and follow someone is to be drawn to God and to submit and follow Him. And so God wired us with a submission vulnerability, a default to trust. We default to want to trust God, for example. Of course, that default is also to trust others with in the proper hierarchical context. And so Mike Cosper is asking, how do we know when our instinct for astonishment is being manipulated? And then he added this question here, which I thought was great because now he's dialing in from the macro to the micro when he asked, when do we accept the claims that a person is speaking on God's behalf? And when do we not? One of the interviewers in this episode said all of that more concisely when she said, quote, I felt Mark had a power and I was desperate for it, end quote. She was communicating those two ideas. I wanted to be vulnerable. I was desperate for it. I was okay with trusting him and I felt like he had a power. Unfortunately, her desperation was too strong, where discernment was limited. And of course, Mark, being the narcissist that he is, manipulated that vulnerability. And so there are two things that we want to think about here. We want to discern our vulnerability, not run from it, because again, we're wired to trust. And so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we do want to discern it. But then there's also an onus on the leader, whether that leader is a dad, a mom, employer, a teacher, a civil authority, a pastor in a local church. We want to make sure that we are not manipulating the vulnerable. The sheep want to follow 
That is how God made us, and we want to make sure that we are leading well. And as she said, I felt Mark had a power, and I was desperate for it. She was desperate to believe, which positioned her for Mark Driscoll's cruelties. And as I say that, I don't want you to hear that I am suggesting it was her fault, because we all default to trust. That is our natural condition, to default to trust. And that is a good thing. We want to believe in something outside of ourselves. The problem is we live in a post-Genesis 3-6 world. And because we live in a post-Genesis 3-6 world, there is a possibility that there will be people from time to time who will step into a position of authority, and they will leverage that authority and manipulate our default-to-trust vulnerability. Defaulting to trust is how God made us. Perhaps you can think about it from a converse perspective. Would you prefer to default to cynicism like 24-7? You're just the cynic every second of your day. Would you prefer to default to suspicion and conspiracy theories? That is not the right way to live. It is not psychological healthy to live that way. You will grow in ever-increasing dysfunction, and it will cause ever-increasing problems within your relational sphere. Imagine being married to the person who defaults to cynicism, suspicion, and conspiracy theories. God wired you and me to have faith in something outside of ourselves, that default to trust. It is the normal and sane way to live our lives. But because that is true, there is a problem when other people use our default to trust vulnerability for selfish purposes. And that is what Mark Driscoll did. And he he took advantage of that in the subjective way as he manipulated people by saying, God told me this and God told me that and I have a word for you. And that is manipulative language that he was using. He was off in the subjective weeds where nothing could be verified. And so the vulnerable just defaulted to trust and kept walking down that line. But that's why I want to give you 10 things that will help you to measure and to weigh the individual who is dropping the God card on the table, potentially manipulating you because they're hearing from the Lord, as they say. Just before this episode of Demon Hunting, they did a short story. It, it, they wedged it between the interview with Joshua Harris, which was the last full-form uh, episode they did, and then this one here. And in between those two, they did a short story where they talked about Mark hearing from the Lord. And the reason I want to talk about this briefly, because it ties into what I'm saying here, the story is that, is that Mark... The story is that God told Mark to plant churches, study the Bible, marry Grace, who became his future wife, and to train young men. God told Mark to do those four things. Now, I don't know if God speaks English. Uh, I, I don't know how you discern God's voice from Satan's voice. Uh, does God sound like a Brit and Satan sounds like a Southerner in the United States? Uh, does God speak Portuguese and and, and Satan speaks Spanish. No reflection on my Spanish friends. I'm just using that as an illustration. I probably better stop. But how do you know? 
But apparently God told Mark Driscoll to plant churches, study Bible, study the Bible, marry Grace, and to train young men. And then someone who's hearing that, they ask, how do you know it was from the Lord? That is a valid question. I mean, how do you know it was from the Lord? And in Mark Driscoll's way of communicating, he mocked the questioner, and then he said, well, we know it was from the Lord because he asked me to plant churches, study the Bible, and train young men, and Satan would not tell Mark Driscoll to plant churches, marry the, uh, marry the Bible, study the Bible, and train young men. Okay. Let me just come at this from another angle since we are in the subjective weeds right now. And since none of us can prove what we're talking about, if you believe in Satan telling you stuff or God telling you stuff outside of Scripture, I don't. But if you believe in Satan telling you stuff, I can make a case just as strong that Satan told Mark Driscoll to plant churches, study the Bible, and train young men just as strong as he can make a case that God told him that, and Solomon would not even be able to tell, uh, to discern which is, which is right. Satan would say, it is possible that Satan would say those things to a narcissistic ego like Mark Driscoll. If I were the devil and I had insight into Mark's character, as a narcissist, I would want to motivate him to plant churches, study the Bible, train young men, because a person with such character flaws would wreak havoc on the church, destroy many lives, turn thousands of people away from the church. Now, as we look into the rearview mirror after it's all said and done, the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church, Perhaps you can make a stronger case that Satan told Mark Driscoll to plant churches, study the Bible, and train young men. I mean, if we're going to live in the subjective weeds, you can make a case either way, and therefore I wouldn't mock the questioner who asked Mark Driscoll, well, how do you know it's from the Lord? Hearing from the Lord is subjective teaching that a lot of folks adhere to, and in most cases there is no vetting of that, quote, word from the Lord. Because this teaching is so subjective, it would be better to bring this discussion down to sublunary actors rather than position the problem as a power play between God and Satan about whose voice will command us. Because ultimately, once we get outside of God's word, then we do not know. And so rather than positioning this as a power play between God and Satan of who told me this, what about if we just dropped it down a notch or two and talk about, well, how can we discern human to human, man to man, woman to woman? How can we discern if this is from the Lord or not? In the charismatic world, you'll hear, you'll hear a lot of, I just got a word from the Lord or the Father told me. Now, I do not believe in this kind of thinking, but it's popular nonetheless. God has given us his word, which is how we hear from God. Now, with that said, caveat, I don't think we should be so hardcore that we shut out the Spirit of God and the relationship that we have with him. 
I am a full Trinitarian. I believe that the Spirit of God is alive and well on planet Earth. But I also believe that we need to put up some parameters because we can transgress some lines here, like these subjective weeds that I'm talking about that can get us into a world of trouble. And there should be a discussion between being a cessationist and a continuationist. A cessationist is a person that believes that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased for this time. A continuationist believe, well, that they are continued. And there is a lot of literature out there. You're welcome to read it. And since we're not going to settle our differences in this in this podcast, and you probably have already made your decision about which camp is yours. And by the way, there are good people, good evangelical people on both sides of that, that camp. But I think a wiser approach for us in this podcast review is to discuss how to guard against statements made without weighing those proclamations. When you connect a person who wants to believe with someone who wants loyal subjects, then there can only be one outcome, broken lives, the fall of Mars Hill Church. And so... You have a default to trust. Good for you. So glad that you don't have a a default to cynicism and suspicion. But you also want to guard that, that vulnerability. And so here are 10 things for your consideration when someone tells you that they've heard from the Lord. Number one, it's not a fiat. It's not a decree. If someone tells you they have a word for you, Be careful. Don't take it as a fiat from God. You can default to trust, uh, but you want to be discerning. You don't have to be suspicious, but you can be discerning. Default to trust and discernment do not have to be in conflict with each other. And so it's not a fiat. It's not a decree. Don't take it as a fiat from God. Be careful. Number two when they say they have a word from the Lord, they're dropping the, the God card on the table. Well, if, if, if this is from God, and then we take two steps backwards, because who can engage that? Who wants to engage that? Who wants to defy that? This is from the Lord. Well, just because the God card is in play, it does not mean it's true. And so without being disrespectful, be biblically diligent. When someone says that they have a word from the Lord, there are two roads that you want to walk down simultaneously. The first, the first road you want to walk down is the Bible road. You want to verify, you want to search the Scripture to see if there is any conflict between what the person just said to you and what the Bible teaches. And so when the God card is on the table, be respectful, but be biblically diligent. And then number three verify. This is the second road that you want to walk down. You want to verify what is happening, what the person has said to you in the context of competent friends who knows God's word. Now, by the way, if the person says that they have a word for you that is from God, then they will be happy that you would verify this because they already know the outcome. This is God. I mean, God told me to say this to you, so this is going to be good. Uh, this is this is what God wants you to hear. And so, yeah, please search Scripture because I know how that's going to come up. It's going to be true. Uh, 
ask other people, weigh it in the context of community, because I know that this is from God. So they will have no problem with that. They will want you to do that, and I want you to do that too. Number three, verify it in the context of community. So number one, this is not a fiat. Number two, when the God card drops, be diligent. Search the scriptures. Number three, please verify in the context of community. Number four, dismiss fear. Frequently, the recipient of such words will struggle to one degree or another with the fear of man, just enough not to question the leader. For example, children do this all the time, younger children specifically. They will default to truth, I mean default to trust, and and they will lean into their vulnerability, and they will accept what the dad or the mom says. They would be fearful not to do that. That is normal. That's the way it should be. Again, the onus is on the leader to steward this responsibility that they have as a parent in this illustration to parent well because there will be an element of fear in those who are following, those who are submitted. But for you, recognize that there could be an element of fear of man in you just enough not to question the leader. You don't have to be hostile. You don't have to be proud. You definitely don't want to be that cynic. You want to lean into your vulnerability and accept this condition of defaulting to trust, but yet you also want to make sure that you root out any and all fear of man so it doesn't cloud your discernment and so dismiss fear. Number five, sometimes people who use this kind of language I heard from the Lord are extra biblical. And what I mean by that is that they will take an historical narrative. The Gospels are historical narratives. Uh, The Old Testament is historical. They're telling stories. These are history lessons, and they will take these history lessons. For example, they talk about one in in the Christianity Today series. Mark Driscoll wanted people to name the devil the demon that was in the individual so that they could get him out. You had to name him because Legion was the name of one of the demons in the, in the Gospels. That is extra-biblical teaching. The Bible doesn't say anything about you have to name a demon to exercise that, that demon. Or God spoke to Abraham and Daniel and Jonah, and because God spoke to them, that means God speaks to me too. Well, that's taking a historical narrative and making it normative to our lives today. And so when people wrongly interpret historical narratives, they will become extra biblical. Uh, Outside of biblical bounds is what I'm talking about, and so you have to discern that. Is this person's teaching and what they're telling me, is it outside of biblical bounds? Are they extra biblical? Number five. Number six, check yourself. And what I mean by that is, how much do you want to believe what someone is telling you? Sometimes, as the interviewee said in this episode from Christianity Today, she said, I was so desperate. She wanted to believe. Sometimes we can be in such a place of desperation that that intensifies our, intensifies our vulnerability. It intensifies our vulnerability to trust. And this is where biblical counselors have to be super hyper 
careful about the people that we are caring for because they are hyper or super uh, vulnerable. They're sensitive to what we're going to say and how we're going to direct them. And they're so desperate for a certain kind of outcome that they will lock into anything that we say. But to the vulnerable, I would say, how much do you want to believe? Now, perhaps that's a conversation that you need to have with a courageous friend, like, am I uh, oversteering the car into believing something that I shouldn't believe, but because I want an outcome so badly, I'm, I'm believing this when in reality I shouldn't. Because sometimes when you're in a fog and you're so desperate that it's hard to see what you should be seeing, and that's where a good friend uh, would serve you well. So point number six, check yourself. How much do you want to believe what someone is telling you? Number seven is about suffering, and this is something that I've noticed with a lot of people who have prophetic messages. Almost all prophetic words from the Lord are positive. There's no knife through the chest like Abraham. Abraham, I want you to put a knife through Isaac's chest. Jesus, I want you to go down on a cross. There's hardly no negativity or suffering involved If all the prophetic messages from someone are for good outcomes and for your good, there's something wrong there because there's a weakness in an individual's theology of suffering, and and they haven't paid attention. If they've read the Bible at all, they haven't paid attention uh, to the Bible, uh, especially as it pertains to suffering because that is the path. Uh, that we are to walk down, as Paul said in Philippians 1.29, God has given you the gift of salvation and the gift of suffering. Or as he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, number 21, that we are to walk in a path of suffering as Jesus did. And so if all the prophetic messages <laughs> have to do something with positive outcomes, uh, you may have a problem there. Number eight, is the prophetic person creating dependency on himself or herself, the prophetic person? Are they creating that dependency, or are you growing more dependent on the Lord? And so if you live in that kind of ongoing environment where people have messages from God, does it create a dependence, more of a dependency on God or more on the person who has the prophetic message? And then number nine, if someone says something to you and it comes true, are you drawn closer to God and his word or the prophetic words? And so point number eight, are you drawn more toward the prophetic person? Point number nine, are you drawn more toward the prophetic words? Or alternatively, you're drawn more to God and you're drawn more toward his Bible. And then one of the ways that you can measure this is point number 10. Are you more passionate about God's word, which is objectively evidenced by your time in it? Or do you get more jazzed, more excited about prophetic words? in some churches, mostly in charismatic churches, that they are more excited about this subjective experience, prophetic words, and they can be really weak on understanding and applying the Bible. And so 10 considerations when uh, someone has a word for you and you are vulnerable to that leader, how do you guard against from being manipulated and steered the wrong way? Number one, it's not a fiat. Number two, when the God card is dropped. Be biblically diligent. Number three, verify in the context of community. Number four, dismiss fear, fear of man uh, to that authoritative leader who is sharing uh, prophetic words with you. Number five, is it extra biblical? 
how much of their explanation for what they do is historical narrative, extra biblical rather than normative teaching. Number six, check yourself. How much do you want to believe what someone is telling you? Number seven, are most of the prophetic or all the prophetic messages, all the words from the Lord, are they positive? There's no knives in the chest, uh, so to speak, using the Abraham illustration or speaking in the New Testament, uh, suffering is our call to take up our cross. Number eight, is it creating a God dependency, a dependency on God or dependency upon the person who's giving you all of these words? Number nine, is it creating a dependency on the prophetic words or drawing you deeper into God's word? you, you've made a decision that you can, I can live without the prophetic words, but I cannot live without God's word. Number 10, am I more passionate about God's word, evidenced by my time in it? I want to give you two bonus tips. I said 10, but I have two more that I want to share with you quickly before I wrap up here. Number one, or number 11, is church culture. What inflames the passion of the church more, subjective experiences or directives and lessons from God's Word? I've been in some churches where it just seems like 90% of everything is drawn to subjective experience. The Father says, the Father said this, the Father said that, and they're just looking for this subjective experience. It feels good, and God's Word is weak. And when you begin to talk to people in this church about what God's Word teaches, you learn very quickly that they're not good exegetes of Scripture, that they do not know their Bible as much as they love and appreciate subjective experiences. And so what is the church culture like? And then bonus tip number two or number 12, I call it the increasing pastor. Is your pastor growing in stature in your mind or because of the ever decree? or because of the ever-decreasing pastor, Christ is increasing. I'm taking John's language in 3.30. I must decrease, Christ must increase. Mark Driscoll was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. More famous, more famous, more famous. And Christ was getting smaller, smaller, and smaller. And so do you have an increasing pastor or a decreasing pastor? If you'd like to talk to me about any of these things, would love to chat with you. Jump on our forums and let's talk. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.